Hey guys, welcome to this week's edition of the People's Podcast, brought to you by World Outlook, Dartmouth's undergrad journal of international affairs. We're your hosts. I'm Hayden. And I'm Masa. This week, we'll first be talking with 20 Luke Beanstalk on the current political situation in Libya, and after, we'll hear from 22 Ben Vagel on our recent article on the questionable economic policies of Indian Prime Minister Modi. Kowalski, analysis. So Luke, what's currently happening in Libya? So... Ending on the 19th, so two days ago, uh, there was the uh, Berlin Conference on Libya, which was attended by a number of countries, uh, including Algeria, China, Egypt, France, Germany, Italy, Russia, Turkey, Congo, UAE, UK, USA. And then uh, in terms of institutions, you had uh, the high representatives of the UN, the African Union, the EU, and the League of Arab States. And pretty much what happened um, or the reason it's, it's happening is that um, Hassan Salma, who is sort of leading uh, the UN's um, uh, you know, approach towards Libya, uh, announced a three-point plan uh, back um, uh, a few months ago. And the three sort of main things was that he wanted uh, a ceasefire on August 10th. Um, he wanted a sort of a truce um, to sort of start um, uh, you know, talks between the different parties, and um, third, um, he wanted to serve uh, the important um, people, in, you know, play, uh, players within Libya, um, to start working on uh, a final agreement. And this sort of led up to the Berlin conference. And during there, there it was interesting. I was looking over the sort of conclusions of the conference, the document that I produced at the very end. And there are a few main things that stuck out to me. It sort of addressed the current situation right now, how you know, Al-Qaeda and ISIS have been able to spread because of instability there, um, and how it uh, is sort of um, urging foreign actors to refrain from interfering in Libya and how there needs to be some sort of arms embargo. And then in terms of addressing the political process, um, it reaffirmed the need uh, to support the Libyan political uh, agreement for other in other words it's pretty much the government of national accords that's ruling the, the UN uh, recognized um, government based in uh, Tripoli and um, the way that's actually going to be done they, they sort of addressed a few things so in terms of the security sector uh, the document um, called for the restoration of the monopoly of um, force uh, for the state. And another big issue was the National Oil Corporation. The NOC, as it's called, has been um, really key in this conflict because it's stayed pretty impartial to both sides. You have the Libyan National Army led by General Haftar and um, the GNA, which is, um, you know, like I said, the recognized government that um, is comprised mostly of uh, Islamist um, political parties. And it called on for you know, oil revenues to be um, you know, spread throughout the country equally and transparently. And a lot of these things were things you would, would expect. Um, but what's important now is sort of the follow-up. And so um, you, the document talked about two main committees that were being uh, sort of um, brought about. So you have the 5 plus 5 committee, 
And that's going to have representatives, uh, military representatives from the GNA and the LNA talking in Geneva, hopefully the next few days. Um, and the International Follow-Up Committee, and that will be comprised of um, different parties who attended the Berlin Conference. That will be spearheaded by the UN, and uh, they'll address uh, three main things, uh, sort of the obstacles to implementation, sharing relevant info, and coordinating um, op operational requirements and assistance um, for uh, the issue. So Luke, this is a pretty complex situation. How do you think this will actually play out on the ground? Yeah, so at the very end of the conference, um, I think it was really uh, significant that General Haftar refused to sign um, the sort of concluding document. It definitely doesn't bode well for the future of the conflict. Um, also, um, Prime Minister Al-Sarah Ajahn Haftar refused to be in sort of like the family foot of all the world leaders at the end. Um, so in terms of like, uh, you know, it, small actions to show that there's some attempt to work together doesn't look that great, I think. Uh, the big issue are is the uh, the uh, external spoilers, um, Russia and Turkey primarily. With Russia, um, you have the Wagner Group, the main mercenary firm um, out of Russia that has direct links to the Kremlin. You've seen all of her social media uh, videos of um, Russians running around Libya supporting uh, General Haftar and that definitely doesn't bode well, even though the document itself uh, explicitly stated um, you know, against uh, exporting um, mercenaries and um, other sorts of uh, military technology. Russia is clearly ignoring it. But the, at the same time, so is Turkey. They're moving Syrian mercenaries who uh, fought in that conflict into Libya. Um, President Erdogan's claiming that you know, they're only sending military advisors and technicians to support the GNA. That's, you know, that's part of the truth. The real truth is they're also sending foreigners uh, to fight um, in their place. And the Turkish government actually recently approved um, a measure that allowed Turkey to send soldiers on the ground there. If requested by the GNA, which they have done. So it's only a matter of time, really, um, assuming Erdogan continues acting hawkish. So, you know, you have Europe and the U.S. who are acting a little bit more diplomatically in this situation, but unfortunately it doesn't really make a difference if you have spoilers playing. The EU did say, um, the Foreign Affairs Chair for the EU, uh, Joseph Borrell, um, said that the EU is looking into reviving Operation Sophia, um, which would um, be a, a program to place a UN ban on the import of arms to Libya. So you may see um, Europe stepping in a little bit. I know that there are Italian troops, I think, in Misrata right now. Um, but pretty much things really do depend on how Russia and Turkey um, resolve the, the conflict between themselves. You know, a week and a half ago, there were talks in Russia, between all the sides, uh, nothing really came of that. You mentioned that General Haftar is a rogue actor. What has he been doing specifically? Yeah, so um, recently, uh, within sort of right when the conference ended, or was ending, uh, supporters of Haftar uh, decided to block oil exports, which you know, I mentioned the NOC, National Oil Company, 
um, has been pretty impartial, and uh, the uh, the people who actually blocked um, these exports um, sort of claimed to do that because they felt that the eastern part of the country um, wasn't uh, receiving as uh, much of the oil revenues compared to the west, and so these you know sort of local tribes who are uh, backing Haftar um, sort of seized control and uh, blocked pipelines um, that connect to the uh, Shahara oil field and the um, El Fil oil field. So pretty much any sort of action on either side that disrupts oil flow um, will really affect the economic and uh, political development of the conflict, which will be not just destabilizing to Libya, but also the region in general. Um, you know, wouldn't be surprised to see oil prices um, change because of that. And it, uh, you know, Haftar is not a government. You know, he, he's a rogue general. He, he He's receiving international support, but um, he's really not constrained by laws. He does as he wishes. Um, and uh, I think there's you know, definitely a threat um, because of that. So is there anything we left out that you want to touch upon? Yeah, I guess to bring it back to the U.S., it'll be interesting to see how under the Trump administration, um, you know, things proceed. We have been sort of playing both sides of the issue. Um, you know, General uh, President Trump called General Haftar to um, congratulate him recently on uh, certain developments. Um so I think the fact that the U.S. Um, hasn't really taken a stance on either side will be interesting to see if that changes now that more international attention is being played to the issue. Um, personally, I think Trump has you know, talked about his desire to get out of the Middle East. And if um, France and Italy uh, and other countries like Turkey and Russia are willing to um, take up the conflict as uh, their own, um, you're not going to really see much um, that you know, that may change. Uh, you know, I hope personally it would change. I think the U.S. Um, could contribute um, to the conflict, but um, I, I think under this administration, you're not going to really see anything. Um, yeah. Awesome. Thank you. So up next, we have Ben Vagel to talk about the latest news from the World Outlook blog. New on World Outlook's blog, Pranit Gupta is writing on missed opportunities and economic stagnation in India. Pranit explains that India's Prime Minister, Narendra Modi, has failed to deliver on the economic promises he made on coming to power in 2015, and that with India's nominal GDP growth at a 15-year low, India's economy is in need of major reform. Specifically, Pranit criticizes Modi for failing to exploit three rare opportunities that could have benefited India's economy. Low oil prices to cut down on India's import bill, and the U.S.-China trade war combined with a decline in China's manufacturing sector, which could have allowed India to expand its own manufacturing exports. But, in spite of these opportunities, India's economy is slowing, and it's clear that Modi's promises to turbocharge the Indian economy have been empty. It remains to be seen if Modi will show the economic and international savvy necessary to exploit global opportunities and bring India's economy into the 21st century. Thanks for the analysis, Luke and Ben. We always appreciate people coming on the show and giving us their take on what's going on in the world right now. Email us at world.outlook at dartmouth.com if you have any topics you'd be interested in hearing about or if you'd even want to come on to speak about foreign affairs. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.